You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome to Real Vision. It's Friday, October 9, 2020, just after market close in New York. This is the Real Vision Daily Briefing. I'm Ash Bennington, joined shortly by our CEO and co-founder, Rao Pal. Rao, welcome back. Good to be here as ever. It's Friday. Happy it's Friday. It's Daily Briefing. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, Rao, I hate to uh, pump the tires here on Real Vision, but Jeffrey Gunlack, 70 Minutes, what, are you kidding me? Fantastic. I kind of feel like I've got a different side to Jeffrey that nobody else has got. It was like yeah. the human side. And he, you know, he, he's around on media and there's a few sound bites, but this was something special. I kind of got his whole backstory, who he is and how he, how he does things and the things he's learned and how he approaches markets. I, I just thought it was fascinating. It's yeah. just a great story. Yeah, me too. From the first uh, minute of the interview, where he tells the story about how he got into the investment business. Yeah, I know. You know, being given the choice of an equity, the equity or bond department, of which he goes, well, well, I don't know. I don't know what they are. I mean, that's great. I can't remember. I did an interview last week where somebody also didn't know anything and got, oh, Dimitri Valiazny. I mean, literally, he got into a boiler shop, you know, it just came through such a circuitous route. Um, to, to get to the top, it, it was an extraordinary thing. And then to hear Jeff, Jeffrey Gunlack with the same thing, he just yeah. thought, well, it sounds like you get paid quite a lot doing that, so I'm going to go do that. He didn't know what that was. <laughs> right. And also the story about the trade that made him realize uh, that, the, uh, that, the, that the great financial crisis was coming. Write it on the ticket, Vitaly. I mean, it's a story like that. You just don't hear other places. Yeah. And, you know, look, he's known for having a certain amount of confidence, let's say. But there was a humble side to him as well. And I thought that was that was really interesting. You know, he, you know, once asked about mistakes, he gave his learnings. And that's yeah. super powerful because if we can learn from other people's careers, people have had great careers, you know, that's just supercharging all the rest of us. Yeah, other people's experience. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, that's what Real Vision does a lot is just gets you, it's a, it's a hack. It's a learning hack. Why learn yourself every bad lesson when you can learn from the greatest in the industry what they learned from their bad experiences? Brilliant. Yeah, that's a high leverage opportunity. Yeah, exactly right. So, Rob, what else are you looking at? You know, I wish to, I wish I could drone on about the same thing. I'm, there's still very limited going on. You know, the last few days, gold looks a bit perky and Bitcoin looks a bit perky, but it's not really broken out of the range. Um, when I talk about the dollar, you know, the euro's rallied a bit this week and the dollar's backed off a bit this week. But my kind of indicators suggest it may not follow through. So it feels like we're still range bound. You know, the equity market hasn't formed that crash pattern that we talked about last week because it's not rolled over. It's slowly cl clawing its way back up. Does it continue? I don't know. Again, these aren't very high quality markets to trade in right now. 
you know, we've got the election that's that's kind of in the way of this. There's the ridiculous yes, no, yes, no, every single day on, um, you know, what kind of stimulus is coming. Is there stimulus coming or not? So it's, it's a bit untradeable in that respect. So, you know, my main strategy has been stick with my core holdings and try not to press anything. Just wait. We will get clarity. We'll get opportunity. And uh, in that interview with Jeffrey Gunn, like we talked about this, is the real big opportunities in macro you have to wait for. Yeah. You have to wait for market opportunities. You know, we're not running pension funds here. We're all you know, running our own investments. People, others are, you know, running books, et cetera, in their working careers. We don't always have to be doing something. You don't always need to be in the market. And if it's not clear and there's no clear risk reward, just keep away. But, you know, my clear risk rewards are longer, big, bigger picture opportunities. And we talked about the risk reward of, uh, you know, Bitcoin we've talked about and gold and a, and a number of other things. You know, I still like the dollar over time. But right here and now, it's one of those markets that volatility is crushing everybody. You know, we've referred to it as the volocost. I mean, it's, it's just a terrible, terrible market because breakouts don't stick. So every time you think, oh, this is the this is the time, let's get in, it reverses again. And having lived a few of these markets before, you have to be very dangerous, uh, careful because you lose PL very quickly by getting too excited. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, you know, to exactly that point, uh, Mr. Gunlax talks about the importance of focusing on the right time horizon with investments uh, and that um, lots of people get burned and or burned out looking uh, at markets quarterly or monthly. Yeah, look, this is the reason I left the hedge fund industry and started writing GMI, is I've noticed that hedge funds back in early 2000s, the investor base had changed from family offices and fund of funds who had long history of investing in, in hedge funds to pension companies, insurance companies, and sovereign wealth funds. Their mandates were different. They said, okay, guys, we understand you can generate alpha, but we only want alpha that looks like this. It needs to look like a bond. So we want maybe it started off as 10% volatility, and then they brought it down to 8% volatility, then they brought it down to 6% volatility, and now it's like sub 5% volatility, and they want a return that is slightly larger than that. So right now, 6% volatility, they're looking for an 8%, basically a junk bond that doesn't behave like junk. So what happens is to manage that kind of low volatility, you can't have, um, you can't manage long-term positions because markets move around a lot. So everyone becomes shorter term by nature and these people wanted monthly, report, uh, monthly reporting. So if you have monthly NAV reporting, it means basically every month, you may have made a lot of money in a trade the previous month, but at the beginning of the next month, if it goes 2% against you, you close out. So you don't even hold on to positions. So what happens, it becomes a nonsense industry because time horizons didn't match. Right. And particularly macros, one of the reasons macros struggle is macros longer-term time horizons because yeah. you're dealing with economies and they move slowly. 
So it became very difficult to, to, um, to make money in that space. And that's one of the reasons I went and started GMI to prove that longer term time horizons in macro generate significantly higher returns over time, but with more volatility. Yeah, it's so interesting if you think about that fundamental mismatch between the opportunity in the market and the demands of investors, it must create other pockets of opportunity as a consequence of the mismatch. It does. It does. But if you think of the short-term time horizon, so, okay, in my time running a hedge fund, there was a bunch of other long-short equity funds, macro funds, and everyone had moved their time horizon shorter or right. had lowered their overall volatility of their fund by increasing diversification. Then what happened is the machines came and basically picked their pockets too. So that was the end of all the ability to generate short-term alpha, and it's become increasingly difficult for people. And that's one of the reasons it pushed people into the crypto markets, because the crypto markets don't have the same forces being applied to them and the same lack of volatility and the same manipulation by central banks, etc. What you've got is more freely traded markets with much more volatility and therefore a higher ability to generate absolute returns. Yeah. Talking of crypto markets, I know there were some things that you were watching this week, some news flow coming out on crypto. Yeah. In the UK, um, the, I don't know what they're called now, the FSA, FCA, I can't remember what they're called, but the regulatory body basically have banned the public using derivatives on crypto. So if you remember last week, we were talking about BitMEX. That was a Bitcoin exchange that the US is, um, um, has issues with for its past, but it's a derivative exchange um, in the UK. And again, I, as I said last week, it's a show that regulation is coming and it's going to clean up the space of the past, which came from more frontier markets. The UK is basically doing the same. It's cleaning up to say, listen, guys, these retail investors, they, they're not allowed to trade futures. So why should they be able to trade futures on cryptocurrencies and stuff like that? What they're trying to do is just make sure that the public is relatively protected from very volatile leveraged assets. And again, I think it's a good thing. If you're a more sophisticated retail investor, you will have access to derivatives on cryptocurrencies. You know, anybody who's allowed to trade futures can trade futures on Bitcoin in the CME. So a lot of people say, see, see, they're coming after you. They're not. What they're trying to do, and you see it in the US, is they're just trying to get a framework of understanding. Say, listen, guys, everyone's on the same page now. You have to be careful who you sell stuff to. You can't pass things off as securities without avoiding securities laws. And you need to do KYC. You just need to now come into the financial system a bit. Now, I know that's uh, antithetical to the actual foundation stones of where crypto came from, but this is the world that we live in. You know, when you when you come into the government world, what they're saying is, and again, the, the narrative is, look, we're not going to ban you. you know, everyone says they're going to ban crypto. They're not. What they're saying is, you need to come and meet us a little bit closer. And then we're all on the same playing field. Right. The other thing that happened this week was the ECB talking about their new their digital currency coin. They make it very clear that they're not banning any of this stuff. They're just saying, hey, listen, we're a little bit concerned about the rise of stable coins. So we're going to form our own digital currency. Um, so we have the digital payments rails and all the things we talked about, um, I think, last week about the ability for people to uh, to do interesting things in terms of monetary policy with that digital coin. In the US, we just saw the Department of Justice talking about, again, more regulation in the space and saying, listen, we, 
it can't be the Wild West. We acknowledge that you guys are here and you're going to play a big part of our future, but there needs to be some ground rules. And we need this. If you want, in, you can either want to be the libertarian and expect none of this, no government interference, no regulation, well, then you're going to get no institutional money and therefore you run out of buyers. If right. you want price to appreciate, if you just want it as your own digital currency to buy and sell and you're not worried about price appreciation, that's a different matter. That's equally valid. But if you want people to be able to, if you want your pension fund to be able to buy cryptocurrencies, there has to be regulation. And I think of it only as a good thing. Yeah. You know, Raul, exactly to that point, this was announced by Attorney General uh, Barr uh, in the United States, as you as you said. Uh, and to me, this is the this is the key right here, these two sentences, because it speaks exactly to your point. Quote, Cryptocurrency is a technology that could fundamentally transform how human beings interact and how we organize society. Ensuring that use of this technology is safe and does not imperil our public safety or national security is vitally important to America and its allies. That does not sound like a quote from someone who wants to shut down uh, the world of cryptocurrency. It sounds very much like precisely what you were saying. Uh, you know, uh, an attorney general, a justice department that wants to come up with a framework uh, for how to make this technology uh, safe and fold into the existing financial system. ECB went one stage further and said there is a race between countries yeah. and jurisdictions to accept, adapt to, and build on and encourage this technology. And we have to be at the forefront of it. Yeah. You know, Switzerland's made big strides in this, other countries have, and people are realizing very fast that this is not going away. This is a complete overhaul of the financial system and they have to move fast. Yeah, of course, uh, we can never forget uh, the digital yuan effort that uh, is happening in China right now at a very rapid pace. I think Sweden's also testing a digital currency right now as well. Um, you know, it's it's happening all over the place and it's only going to get it's going to only become more prevalent. You know, what will OPEC use as their currency in the end? We don't know because there's a whole world of changes out there and it could be a multi-currency basket, the one that, you know, everyone got a little bit scared over from Libra by Facebook, but it's coming. I mean, the the genie's out of the bag. I mean, there's nothing you can do about this. It is going to happen regardless because of jurisdictional arbitrage. Yeah, Sweden currently testing one called the e-krona, like the electronic crown. Yeah, exactly. And it's the, I don't know what the euro one, digital euro or something. So, I mean, and they've, they've kind of, um, kind of trademarked the name as well. I mean, it's, it's all happening. So look, super interesting times. But in the meantime, still not a lot going on in markets that really helps us with this. As I said, I mean, there's a potential chance that Bitcoin and gold are breaking out. But I, I don't yet see the catalyst as nothing, nothing has changed. You know, I, I do note that, you know, again, um, this, this show, the Real Vision Daily Briefing was born out of the coronavirus and the need for people to have information. What is clear is we are going to probably have a more complicated winter in terms of number of cases. And again, I understand the increased number of testing. I understand the lower death rates. And I understand even the lower hospitalization rates. But they're all rising and rising concerningly fast. And as I said last week, 
governments will end up taking actions, or if they don't, their populace will. If you remember Sweden, where they didn't take action, the population took action and basically locked themselves in and right. they concentrated. Uh, Spain is just locking down Madrid. Uh, the UK is shutting lockdowns. France is closing bars. It's happening everywhere. And the US has got a kind of very complicated rise in cases in uh, uh, the northern northwest, um, sorry, in the northern Midwest. Um, and it looks like we're going to see a big acceleration over the winter globally. And I think that's a big deal. Even here on the Cayman Islands today, suddenly we had we had no cases at all, much like New Zealand had. And now suddenly we've got a two-year-old kid with COVID. I mean, nobody knows where it came from. Mm. You know, schools are closing down again. Everyone's gone to, you know, level three alerts. And rightly or wrongly, it's the reaction function that matters. So again, I, I worry about the strength of the global recovery with this winter going the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. And I also worry about people self-isolating more. I think that uh, people here in the Northeast, at least, uh, have been kind of out and about socializing uh, in kind of socially responsible distance ways uh, because the weather permitted it. That's not going to be an option in New York in January. Uh, no. New York in January, one of the most miserable places on Earth, and February's even worse. Yes. Um, so, yes, I mean, and that is one of the actual issues, regardless of whether the virus is more vir vir virulent in uh, wintertime, it's because people are in closer right. proximity in winter. It's as simple as that. So it becomes very hard, and, and everyone's fed up with this. I mean, everyone's literally fed up with it. Yeah. But what, what to do? Yeah. For my money, March is the worst month in New York because you're just so disgusted at being locked indoors for like five months in a row. Try living in London when it rains for 11 months. <laughs> Listen, all I know is when you British guys come to New York in the winter, uh, you just do nothing but complain about how cold it is. Oh, my God. So you turn a corner. It's like, this is fine. This is fine. And then it's like yeah. Arctic Circle. It's, it's unbelievable because it's got that slightly dry air. And the and the wind, it's yeah. it's it's, it's god awful. Yes, I haven't missed traveling to New York in winter this year. But at least our summers are hotter and more humid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> New Yorker has like ten perfect days. The rest of it's either too hot or too cold. Yeah, we try and make we try and make the best of them. Um, I did a great interview today, uh, Rao, that's going to air next week with uh, Kelly Rodriguez. Uh, from uh, from Forge, CEO of Forge. Um, Kelly was someone we went to because we were looking for someone uh, who could give us some insight into what had been happening during the summer of the SPAC. Um, but the interview turned out to be a great deal more than that. Uh, and we talked uh, kind of about the union uh, and the lines blurring between public and private markets. Uh, I think it's a great conversation that, um, that I, I certainly learned a lot myself about a space that I wasn't as knowledgeable about as I should be. Uh, and I suspect our viewers are going to enjoy it next week. Yeah, I mean, the whole SPAC space is, is super fascinating. It smacks of a bubble, but it also smacks as a nice bypass to the ridiculous regulations and complications of IPOs. Yeah. So basically, it's giving people ability to exit or partially exit these opportunities because these VC funds and private equity funds are chock full of stuff they can't actually get out the door. And this helps them do it. Um, <clears throat> but it's a crazy old world where you just say, well, I'm thinking of doing something maybe, mm -hmm. and I'm raising $500 million to do this maybe something, not sure. And if mm -hmm. I don't do something, you'll get your money back. 
and and people are getting tons of money on the back of it. It's it, it smacks of something that's about to blow up at some point. But I also see the, the structural benefits from it. Yeah, you know, I, I was thinking of it in sort of three levels. The first uh, is uh, the, the first point you made, which is that, look, it's a novel structure that facilitates uh, the conveyance or transaction of certain deals that couldn't get done otherwise. The second is the point that you made, hey, maybe we're in a little bit of a bubble here uh, when something rises that quickly. But the third, and maybe the the, the deepest or, or biggest picture and perhaps the most profound lesson uh, is that the story of the SPAC in many ways uh, is the story of a two-tiered market system where a significant amount of innovation is happening in the private markets and it's staying there deeper and longer. Uh, and this is really a, a major structural shift in the way uh, that, uh, that innovation gets done in American companies. Yes, and I've been writing about this in Global Macro Investor for a long time, the rise of private equity. Yeah. So what's happened is private equity has basically taken a lot of the return streams out of public markets. Yeah. So they've kept hold of opportunities and be able to do certain things that, pri that public companies couldn't do. So more and more of the market is now in private hands as opposed to public hands than ever before. And that's fascinating. Um, it's interesting, it's concentrating in a very few number of players. I mean, if you go to every single investment bank, almost in every single department in their investment banking division, their largest customer is one of the three big private equity funds. Right. So I never like it when the largest customers in the world come down to two or three firms. Usually it means there's trouble brewing. And the trouble implicit in some of those private equities companies is there is a lot of leverage, huge yeah. amount of leverage. And in a world of low cash flows, you can get yourself into trouble. We've seen these guys raise debts, stuff like that. But, you know, I'm not sure that this story is done yet. And I think the rise of the SPAC is partly the ability for people to try and offload stuff and get cash as fast as they can. So I'm not sure it's all good. Um, you know, I think it's VCs looking through the cycle saying, if I can get some money out, I will. Because if you remember the public markets, think of pre the WeWork blow up, the private markets were trading in much higher multiples of the public markets, and that's flipped. Right. So in this crisis now, the public markets are trading a much higher premium to that. So therefore, bingo, IPOs. Before, you couldn't do IPOs because the share, the stocks would trade down because the public markets were trading on a lower multiple. So there is this ongoing arbitrage. And maybe it's just that. Maybe the SPAC is just that, is the right. fact that public mar private markets are currently cheaper than public markets. So get, st get stuff to, to, uh, to market as soon as possible. Yeah, like water seeking its own level. It is interesting, though, to think about the the you know venture capital. Obviously, is a is a subset of private equity proper, and it is interesting to think about what that space looks like, the startup space, uh, and the level of innovation uh, and dynamism that some of the smaller companies have. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, I mean, I had a great conversation with Howard Linson that kicked off this week's programming. Um, and uh, yeah, Howard's an old friend and a very smart guy in this space. And um, this whole VC space fascinates me because really what it is, is an options portfolio. Some of the options go to zero, some right. of them small returns, 
and a few make some really big returns. So it's an option portfolio that doesn't decay with time. Well, some of those stocks do because they run out of cash. Right. So, okay. And basically what Howard tells me is that they're underpricing the options. So if you're an early stage VC, you're getting in at valuations and getting percentages of companies that are not commensurate with the amount of risk you're taking. You're being overpaid to take the risk, which is why VC has done rather well. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. The options are being mispriced right now. Now, obviously, as more money goes into that space over time, if VC survives this cycle well, well, they're going to attract a lot more money. So as they attract a lot more money because people are chasing the next unicorn, the returns will dampen over time. Because what you'll see, as opposed to the seed capital coming in at a $10 million valuation um, or a $15 million valuation, they'll be coming in at a $25 million or $30 million. And before you know it, everything kind of doubles in expensiveness. And therefore, the ability to have a 10x becomes a 5x or the 100x becomes a 50x, and the ones that were marginally profitable become marginally losers, and you still get the, the ones that, that burnt out. So it's a really interesting space when I use traditional investing framework upon it and using derivative pricing models. Um, I'm a big fan of you know, innovation and entrepreneurship. Um, yes. I think this wave is not done. I think it's a secular wave that will go on and on and on, because the answer to maths layoffs is entrepreneurship. The answer to the, the shutting down of the big cities in terms of the, the, sh the stores and everything else is entrepreneurship. And I think people will find opportunity. So I think there are gonna, there's going to be more and more of this. And, you know, every day, and I've mentioned this before, every day, the, every day that goes on, and I think about Mark Andreessen's Software is Eating the World, the more ludicrously profound a statement that was, and that is, and that will be. It is like Moore's law. It's become one of these things of legends that you're like, oh my God, it's now eating money. And oh my God, software is going to eat. I mean, literally everything. Uh, I had a fascinating conversation with Jeff Booth last week about and something I'm now about to do a whole bunch of work on GMI about was the deflationary effects of demographics and, and um, technology are so big that one of the things that I'm starting to think is that, the and also globalization, is once you look at those things, it's wages that have deflated versus not the fact that goods have inflated as much. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at the purchasing power of wages versus assets, commodities, real estate, all of this stuff, and I'm doing a bunch of work on this. I think I'm going to find that the... 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010 have been a wage deflation environment. And that's, that spills into politics. That spills into all of the things that we know about. Now, in a wage yeah. deflationary environment, you're also increasing debts to try and cover the loss of wages that you've had. So there's something interesting in all of that. Um, and that's another thing that technology is doing because it's yeah. just accelerating. And it's, it's eating all the profit margins. And anything that has a high cost base, it's destroying it and replacing it with something else. You know, and we're seeing it. Truck drivers don't need those, go to technology. Cab drivers don't need those, go to technology. I mean, one thing after another after another, and that is not going to stop. Yeah.
It's also interesting to think about the culture of innovation and entrepreneurship. I mean, if you think about, you know, if you think about as an example, something that we think about all the time, what we're doing, you know, what is it that makes it special? I mean, I, I'm shooting this on a $200 webcam. What makes it special and what's hard to do and what's hard to build is a culture of innovation. That's the challenge. That's what the- Well, a culture of innovation requires risk taking. Um, humans generally aren't risk takers. They might think they are because they like to play a bit of poker or they go to Vegas. You know. That's not risk taking. Yeah. Risk taking is when your whole life is on the line on building a business. That's risk taking. Risk taking is failing, dusting yourself down and doing it again, but learning from the lessons of the last time. That's risk taking. And that's hard. It takes time. So not everybody set out to be an entrepreneur. Um, but you know, working in entrepreneurial companies is enjoyable too, when it's not all your risk then. The risk gets mitigated somewhat. Um, but yeah, so it, I actively encourage people to become entrepreneurs, but really, if you can, learn something first and then become an entrepreneur later. Yeah. There was yeah. a big step that has been very well received that I put out last week in Macro Insiders about how I talk about, how I think about risk taking. And, you know, one of the things that really resonates, and I got a lot of thank you letters for it, is people get confused in this world of financial markets that they need to do things and they, they lose their priorities. The market and the adrenaline and the money is the priority. And, and, and I was talking about how to take the really big bets in life. And the best thing is from a position of security, not insecurity. You can do it once when you're very young and you have nothing to lose. But once you have something to lose, it's difficult to take a big bet. So then what you need to do is focus on, okay, how do I accumulate? If I can pay off a house, B, have some funds. doesn't have to be the house you live in, somewhere that you could go to if it all goes wrong and get a bar job. Then you're in a situation of security. And then, so I wrote that whole piece out and I think we'll, we'll probably pass it out to more people in due course about how to go, what to do, the steps to take to be able to take life-changing risk uh, without it actually adversely affecting your life. Um, and that risk-taking is, I think, a thing that most people don't really understand. Yeah. When are we starting the Real Vision Entrepreneurship Channel? You know, we talked about this for a long time. Um, I, we're too busy doing what we're trying to do now. Yeah. Once, we, once we crack this... And we're, you know, we're all billionaires. We'll do the entrepreneurship channel too. Yeah, and until then, we'll stitch it through uh, all of the content that we create as we do today. Well, because again, like crypto, these worlds have all merged. Yeah. Right. Those guys are the disruptors. They're changing what is happening. They're changing the narratives, the way commerce is done. So we have to have one eye on that, and it's part of the financial markets. You know, many of our viewers are high net worth individuals, and they have. They're equal opportunity investors, VC, real estate, precious metals, hedge funds, trading my own equities, you know, all sorts of things. So I want to make sure that people have a broad perspective because it's not just about the S&P. And, you know, we've seen that in the US and other countries, they've made it easier for the public to start investing in VC style opportunities, you know, yeah. in a platform that makes sense, less about the individual company, more about, you know, uh, you know, a VC product that you can engage in. And that's good. It's good. Yeah. Raul, once again, we've blown through 30 minutes in the blink of an eye.
Oh, yeah. Always, I've like, no, Ash has nothing to talk about today. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I've said that for the last six weeks, nothing to talk about. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I just sound in my own voice. That's the problem. <laughs> Raul, this was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Yeah, and let's, maybe next week the markets can do something and then we'll have something to talk about. Yeah, careful what you wish for, Raul. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the problem. <laughs> All right. Take care, everyone. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the holiday, everyone. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.